This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is... Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tomahawk Show. I'm Joe Thomas, your humble co-host. With me, as always, the other co-host of the podcast, Andrew Hawkins. Mr. Hawkins, how are you doing today, my friend? Joe, I'm doing good, man. I'm in my garage. This is my 11th day in the garage, my home setup. Um, I'm looking at broken cabinets. I am looking at a washer machine and a water tank. But this is what, a day, day 11 or 12, I think, for me. I only spend about two hours outside of this room. Um, and again, I'm very comfortable in isolation. So, so far, I haven't gone crazy. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. So we've kind of self-isolated at the farm as a family. We came out here and we're just trying to get away from uh, people, really. That's w- what this quarantine and uh, social distancing is all about. Just trying to remove yourself as much as possible because they keep telling us that there's a lot of people out there that don't even know they have it. And that's why this crazy coronavirus stuff is spreading the way it is, is because you've got all these carriers that are walking around that aren't showing symptoms and uh, they're passing it. And that's, I think, part of the scary thing, but also why we've kind of, you know, tried to remove ourselves as much as possible to be responsible and, you know, try to think about the people that uh, would be most affected by this, obviously parents and grandparents and other people that are um, immune compromised, but also it is a little bit unsettling hearing stories that plenty of healthy people are getting really, really sick too. So um, for us, you know, to try to remove ourselves as best as possible, that's that's what we did. And that's why we're recording from the dungeon. Just like yeah. you are recording from your garage, I am recording from a basement bedroom uh, at the <laughs> farm here, trying to get away from some napping children uh, for a little bit and, uh, you know, have a little therapy. I, I talked to you guys last night and, uh, I just, I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, guys, I I don't know if I can talk football right now. I just have so many things on my mind. But then I thought back to some of the other episodes that we've had when there's big moments in our lives and in world history. And, and it always felt just a little therapeutic talking to you, Hawk, and just kind of letting the, letting the inner monologue become outer monologue and let those ideas and fears and vulnerabilities kind of flow and uh, flow out of my mouth and into your ears. Uh, so yeah. I, I'd like to apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> but what, what has uh, lockdown been looking like for you the last week and a half? You know what? I mean, my kids and that's that's what I want to actually ask you is how your kids are taking it. But before we get to that, listen, uh, if you're listening to the show, like we said, you know, our rundown is kind of fluid. We're just like, yo, let's just get on the line and just talk. So we might talk football. We might not. You just might hear two friends kicking the shit about what's going on in their lives. But interact with us on social media at Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, at Tomahawk Show. Join a Facebook group, Tomahawk. Um, call our voicemail and drop us a message at 440-628-1376. Let us know what your quarantine situation is looking like how you're feeling questions you have because the next show we might just address all voicemails and, and just go from there um so hit us up check out the youtube on uninterrupted uh, youtube page where we also post our shows uh but yeah joe I, my question for you is how are your kids uh reacting to it because they're in school correct uh so three out of my four are in some 
amount of school. My oldest was a first grader. And then I have my next two were preschool. You know, one was like 4K, which is kind of like almost kindergarten. The other one was 3K, which is more like babysitting. Uh, and then the babies at home. So um, yeah. three of them out of school, like all the kids in the country right now. And they're they're adapting really well. You know, I think it's good for them. They're kind of sheltered from the news. They don't really understand what's going on. They're just like, right. oh, summer break came a little bit early this year. Cool. Let's <laughs> hang out. And so they've been doing good. And, you know, I've been doing my best to try to, like, shield any worry that I and panic that I have from them and, um, you know, do my best not to let them have the anxiety and stress that I have. But it, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. It's been kind of, like, bottled up in me because, you know, being around family, it's good because you're with your kids and your wife and you're not really like thinking about it necessarily. But I, I really need to just stop like reading newspaper articles and uh, listening to news sources because it just, it's, it's starting to weigh on my mind. And uh, that was a conversation I had with you last night. It's like really getting heavy on me and bottling it up has been difficult. So I'm hoping that this little therapy session we have, I can walk out of here. I walk out of this dungeon basement and uh, I feel a lot better about things. How tall is your first grader? She's like, got to be six, what? Three now? She, I was going to yeah, say. Six, three, was... six, four. I don't know. She's yeah. dunking. So now that, that the NBA is suspended, you? does that change her <laughs> her winter? Because I know she was starting for the Celtics. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but so my kids, they're, they're already homeschooled. So again, this is like a weird situation for me and that I've kind of already prepped for it like my kids are homeschooled because again my wife is a, a k through third grade teacher by trade prior to uh you know her leaving um the the school situation so she just homeschools our kids we have twin four-year-old girls my son is eight so he's in second grade so for them the literal only change is the fact that i'm here all day long oh so um, they're loving it they so they're love loving life it. right now they're yeah like, because they don't know the difference. I mean, they, they know what the virus is and we've, we've talked about it. And um, it's, it's weird for them, too, because, right, the rest of their lives, obviously, we'll always remember it. But even for kids that age, when they're 80 years old, they're going to talk about what it was like during the coronavirus, you know, months in the pandemic and how life changed mm-hmm. even for eight year olds. So it is weird to think that this is something that's going to stick with them. Uh, forever, but yeah, their only real change is the fact that I'm home all day, and they don't respect like me trying to do work. Because unlike you, Joe, I have a real job. Um, <laughs> so you actually have to still work, unlike me. Yeah, just I dial in the podcast <laughs> once a week, and I'm good. But it's good though, because it helps. Because it kind of yeah. it fills your time up. So I've been doing so much yeah. work on that side, doing work calls and you know work from home conferencing yeah. that you don't have time to just sit there, let your mind race, wonder, and like read articles, right? So yeah. no, from that that's perspective, exactly it's been good. Perfect. You're you're exactly right about that. So I've been trying to maintain a little bit of a routine because I'm a big routine guy, as you probably know. Like during, right. during my football career, it was so funny because if anything was changed with our football schedule, I would walk into that weight room and I would just like blow up and I would vent and I'd be pissed off at everybody and I'd be dog cussing <laughs> everybody in the room. And the strength coaches, the ones that knew me really well, they knew exactly what happened. They're like, schedule change, didn't it? And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, they didn't give us any warning. Like, how am I supposed to handle this? They know I don't do well with change. And like, like, why would they move like, breakfast up six minutes? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Like, hey, 
this is outrageous. I need weeks to plan for this type of changes. And like, I'm so inflexible when it comes to that. But like when I'm in a routine, I'm like coasting. I'm walking on clouds when I'm just like checking things off my schedule list. And so I've been trying to keep like a little bit of a schedule where I'll bike first thing in the morning. I'll take my son down to um, my workshop and I've got a little weight set in my workshop. And um, so I'll hit, hit the gym and he'll play with his little trucks and then we'll bike back and then we'll have breakfast. And it's been a great morning routine because like you said, it kind of clears your mind from all the crap that's happening. Um, and so I'm not thinking about it. I get back, making breakfast, cleaning up, everything's cool. But then you have those lulls during the day where you usually like sit down and okay, we're millennials almost or whatever we'd be called. And what are you going to do? You pull out your phone, right? And the first thing you do is you like, oh, hopefully, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to check the news because there's like this little optimist piece of my brain that's still functioning that's going, oh, there's going to be some great news on coronavirus today where they found some <laughs> type of therapy and it's going to start looking better. But unfortunately, the news keeps going the opposite direction, which is not cool. Um, and so it keeps getting me down. And so I, I, I'm very close to just like, turning off all media sources to the outside for like the next five days yeah. because I, my brain, like it's, it's reached a critical mass or I can't keep it in anymore without like affecting my outward relationship to my kids and my wife, which mm. if anything good should come out of this, it's the fact that like busy people like you and I who are traveling a lot and maybe necessarily aren't always spending or making as much time for our wife and kids as we should yep. have all of a sudden 24 seven with your kids for the next who knows when right. and like try try to use that in your brain as some type of like positive spin um and so i think the only way for me to be able to like manage that maybe for the next few days is just to decouple like not totally move away from all entertainment sources because mm -hmm. I think documentaries and podcasts and like maybe watching movies with your family is like, great. That's a good distraction. But if I'm absorbing like up-to-date news and stuff, it's just putting me in a dark place and I don't like it. Yeah. No, I mean, uncertainty does that, man. I mean, it's like, this isn't a little thing. So there's nothing wrong. And this is for everybody listening to, there's nothing wrong that if you have that feeling, you should have that feeling. I'm the weird one for not having that feeling. Trust me, mm. because this is this is something, again, for all of us, for our kids, we will remember till the end of time. It will be in textbooks, you know, even after we're gone from here. And whenever life is disrupted like that in a way that we have never seen in our lifetime and any most people living have never seen in their lifetime, like it's normal to be trying to figure it out. But I, I, I am of the thought that we're a resilient bunch and over time it's going to get a little easier. It's going to get a little more normal. And when we do figure this out, because we've all we always have um, that, it will make us appreciate that kind of stuff and, and things we take yeah. for granted on a daily basis a lot more. And I'm hoping that it puts us as a country in a lot better place. I totally agree. I was just talking with my wife about this the other day and. My grandparents, uh, they grew up during the Great Depression. Actually, my grandma was born the week the stock market crashed in wow. 1939. Uh, not 1939, 1929. 36? 29? 36? 29? I don't know. We're, we're historians, clearly. I'm pretty sure it was 1929. <laughs> yeah, eight, uh, 1822. Who can forget? Yes. Continue. Yes. The Great Stock Market Crash of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she was born the week of the stock market crash and 
the start of the Great Depression. So they're both like in their 90s and they their formative years were right during the Depression. And um, it molded them into the person that they are to this day. I remember even 10 years ago when I'd go over to my grandma's house, she had plastic baggies. I'm not even talking about a Ziploc bag. I'm talking about those plastic baggies that they used to give us sandwiches. Like when your mom would make a sandwich for you and send you to school with a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it had like the fold over, like ultra thin plastic sandwich bag material. And she would put those in her dishwasher and she would wash them until the seams ripped because when you grow up with so little and in a time of such scarce resources like the depression, it burns imprint on your culture and your habits. And that becomes who you are. Mm -hmm. And I got I'm trying to think back, like has society, American society dealt with something that is this heavy and large and looming large over your life since the great depression i don't know if there has been one like i can't think of it and we haven't been around that long so certainly there was big moments but i'm trying to think if there was anything that left such an imprint that you know like this could foreseeably change how our kids live their lives until they're 90 some years old yeah and i think there there hasn't been anything that's that's affected literally everybody you know, I mean, if you think of even our, our moments, like some big moments that come to mind, obviously 9-11 was a big deal. But if you didn't live in New York, you know what I mean? Like it, you didn't see as much of that. And I was in high school at the time. I think I was like in 10th grade and I knew the impact, uh, but it didn't affect my day to day. And I was right outside of where Flight 93 went down, but it's did, wow. it didn't affect our day to day living um, right. or everybody or even like the recession of uh, the most recent one. What was it? 2008? Yeah. You know, if if you don't have much money anyway at that time, I mean, it affected you, but it didn't it didn't affect your day to day so much Um, for a lot of people in America. This I don't care whether you are the most wealthy person in the world or you are on the exact opposite um, of the earning structure. It's affecting everybody's life. So in that respect, I think you're right. It's just. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. I, mean, I know we haven't seen anything I, like this. Yeah, I think back to 9-11, and obviously there was a lot of uncertainty there, but I, f- I feel like at that point, and now granted I was, what, 14, so maybe I didn't have enough uh, age and maturity to be able to comprehend or like see the big picture as much as I do right now. Uh-huh. Uh, but I feel like there was much more certainty and clarity with the future. It was like, all right, terrorists, we know who they are, sort of. We know where they are, sort of. And we kind of know what they're going to try to do to us, but we have a great confidence in our ability to stop them because of our intelligence gathering and our military might and our economic might. And yeah, they might do some pretty significant damage, but like we know the roadmap to success. Whereas like dealing with a disease outbreak, do we have a roadmap for success? Like we don't, we have no idea how this is going to affect us, how long it's going to be here and what society is going to look like once we get through it. And I think being somebody that is always like a big planner and like a big per big picture person that I think that's the hardest thing that I'm having to be able to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I'm always, I'm a worst case scenario thinker by nature. 
Ah, uh, see, I'm always the optimist, and that's why this yeah. is getting me down because I can't yep. find a, a positive in this right now. That's your problem. That that's that's your issue. Like so, <laughs> when you're a worst case scenario, I knew it would come back and kill me. <laughs> when you're a worst case scenario thinker, you know nothing surprises you. When you think anything is possible, it doesn't surprise you when something happens. Not that you've thought about this like specific situation, but I'm that way on both sides, so it works in my favor. And like. Hey, you're living on somebody's couch. You had a terrible college football career. What makes you think you can play in the NFL? Because I'm like, well, anything is possible if I do the right things, right? So it helps me in that respect. And on this side, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, this falls on the spectrum of worst case scenario. So I'm not, you know, I'm kind of taking it all in stride. You know what you need, Joe? What, what do you do for like your creativity like what what do you what gets your creativity juices going what do you have a hobby do you build thing like how do you tap that yeah, part so of that's your really good so being out at the farm it's great when i'm out working and i'm kind of like doing chores and stuff it's so good because it clears my mind and i i really love it like i'm feeding my cows i'm opening up the hay bales i'm like getting up in the woods and i'm cutting firewood and like that's keeping my mind busy and it's great not necessarily super creative but like it's it's i'm focused on a task yeah um and one thing i really love to do that's kind of funny is i like to paint although i almost never do it but there's these classes that uh are all over the country called painting with a twist or some some variation where you go to these classes they give you an easel and they kind of teach you how to paint a certain scene and I always really enjoyed them, but I never tried it at home. But that's a good point. Maybe that should be something that I need to pick up right now to kind of like focus dude, my creative brain and distract myself from things. Absolutely. If you want to learn to play the guitar, we can figure out. We'll, I will get you a guitar sent to your house with free <laughs> lessons. If you want to paint, Ooh. you should paint. This is a perfect time for you, anybody else listening, like creativity. Uh, like, because my mind and that I think that's why I don't want to say enjoying it, but I feel like I have been productive because I am a overthinker as well with little things, right? Like I walk into a room and I think about how people are perceiving me. I think about, oh, I don't want this person to think that about me. Oh, I hope I don't seem like an a-hole. Maybe I should go greet them. Oh, was that too much? Was it not enough? When I wake up in the morning, dang, what 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 pants should I wear? Uh, okay, I got to go pick a shirt out. I shouldn't wear that shirt. I wore this. Oh, I did a video you know, four months ago with that shirt on, this person's coming in the office. They haven't seen me since then. They'll think I wear that every day. No, I wear these. So I have so much decision fatigue on a daily basis. It's been <laughs> nice for me to just wake up and within it, within four minutes, I'm already working. Where typically it takes me an hour and a half to get ready to leave the house. By the time I get to work now, two hours have passed. I don't have to walk and get coffee anywhere be in meetings that don't need me to be there. So it's been really getting my creativity going because Mm. my brain isn't, you know, focused or being taken up by things that don't matter. You know what I mean? It's not being distracted in that way. So if you have anything that you want to do from a creative standpoint, it is a good time to do it. And it passes the time because it does take your focus in and it kind of fulfills it. It's like for people who love to work out, I'm not one of them, but if you love to work out, <laughs> that feeling of after you working out, oh, like, man, yeah. that was good. I got that out and you feel good about it. For people who are creative, this is a good time for that. And everybody is creative. So I, I would urge you and anybody else listening mm. to tap into whatever that is for you. I tell you what, my workouts have been nice. 
But there, there ain't nothing yeah. wrong with my workouts during this <laughs> coronavirus because I told you last time we were talking, I'm going to set the bench world record in the next month if we are staying in <laughs> lockdown because that is all I'm doing right now is, is trading, man. So That's that, a good thing, though. Some, so you should yeah, learn how to edit good. videos, man. Get a simple program on your computer, learn to edit videos, and you could share, set your phone up, do your workout and put up like one minute highlight videos of your workout. People would love to see that from you. You're one of, you know, maybe under 0.001% of Americans who has a home gym in their house. For a lot of people, that is going to be motivating to them. Or even if you did videos showing people how they could work out in their house and still get a good workout, like that's something you are an expert in. Yeah. People would love to get that from you. It helps you with creativity of putting those videos together. Everybody wins. It motivates other people, Joe. Yeah. That's what we got to be Dude, doing. I tell you, man, you're better than a psychologist. That is great. The legitimately great advice. <laughs> and I, I definitely want to try that. I, I got to ask you, though, because I know you're like you said, you're a super creative guy. You've got all sorts of ideas for mm-hmm. TV shows and movies and stuff. Is there anything that you can tickle the Tomaflock's ears with right now and give us a little sense of maybe something that you've been kind of working on or something that has kind of sprouted up since you've been on lockdown? Yeah, well, it, it's it's a balance because I'm also doing, obviously, my, my, nine, my nine to five, which is at uninterrupted. Um, so I've been doing a lot of things there and um, – Putting things together in the world that we're in now and as a company, we're in a unique position where a lot of athletes are trying to create. So that work actually is ramped up for us um, of just like things that we have to get creative with. So that's been really cool. But for myself personally, yeah, a lot of those TV, movie, um, business ideas, I've been able to jot down. I've been able to actually put on paper. I've been able to start, you know, creating decks which are like powerpoints of like concepting the ideas um so yeah that's that's been really cool and even from a a social media standpoint if you look on my twitter i mean the jokes have been flowing man i mean i've been (laughs) if you look at the engagement on some of my my recent tweets man i mean they're i'm hitting on all cylinders so i want to start actually creating (laughs) social content because it's a good time people need to laugh for the same reason you're talking about you're stressed out I feel like a lot of people are like that. That's always been my defense mechanism is laughing. There's not a, a situation that, you know, my brothers and sisters and I don't take as a joke, not because we're not serious, but it's because that's always been our defense of hard times. And I feel like if I can create more things like that for people to laugh, you know, again, I'm good at that. People want that. It's a good time for that. Everybody wins. So you can expect a lot more of that coming from me from my social media. That's a good point. Uh, I need some humor in my life, Hawk. Uh, give me, give me like a movie. Give me a documentary. Give yes. me something that I can consume. Uh, I love that tonight. And l- let me have at it. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let you pick something for me to watch, and I'm oh. going to pick something for you to watch. And on our next show, we're going to recap for both of us what we thought about it. So mine for you. I like I'll it. go first. I'll give you a chance to think of yours. It's something I've been asking you to watch for probably a year and a half now. Oh God, I, I already need know you what to, it is. You know exactly what it is. <laughs> Trading Spaces. Go watch the movie Trading Places with Eddie Murphy Trading and Dan places. Aykroyd. Right. Trading Places. Done. That is your homework. Go watch that movie. And I, I'm, I'm curious that if you come back to me and tell me it is not in the top 10 movies, comedy movies you've ever seen, I would be shocked. Trading Places. Go watch it. All right. What do you got for me? Yeah, Hawk, it's funny you were talking about 
open up the creative side of your brain and being a great distraction. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I have been playing the last uh, couple of nights with um, her sister and her brother who've locked down with us um, is called Code Names. I don't know if anybody's ever played it, but it's a really simple concept that they kind of dressed it up a little bit to make it sound cool. But basically you've got like 16 or 21 cards in front of you in an order and there's two teams of two people and one team is trying to get the other person uh, to say all of your words without basically saying the word of the game ending word. And Uh so there's like all all these different cards out. and, And so you need to say one word as a clue and then how many words that leads up to be so so the clue could be like uh, battleship for two words and then you'd have to find two words that are on your map that somehow are associated with battleship but you want to give them a clue that won't get them to accidentally say like the landmine space essentially but um it's been a lot uh, of fun if anybody has that game or if you can still order it i don't know if amazon is still delivering regular stuff uh besides medical equipment right now i would definitely <laughs> recommend that if you've got four people in your household while you're sheltering it in place uh, because it, it has been a nice creative break. And the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to watch Trading Spaces with Eddie Murphy. No, to Trading Places. Man, trading Places. I don't know. Eddie trading Murphy. Spaces, I think, is an HGTV show. Okay, don't maybe you that's me. <laughs> okay, don't watch that one. Watch don't watch that one. Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. And are, you're, you're a food guy, right? A little bit? A little bit. I like to eat All it. Right. I mean, I like to eat it to survive. Yeah, that, me too. Have you had any bad quarantine meals before you gave me the movie? Now, to be honest, I have uh, a lot of delicious meat that's in my freezer, <laughs> and there's been no shortage of vegetables or fruit out here yeah. as of yet. And so, being home all the time, my wife and I both like to cook, so we've been we've been pounding out some really tasty meals. And I'm sure you have not made anything in the kitchen. Well, my wife has been cooking, you know around the clock as well. And I appreciate her. I suck at cooking, which is why she does the the majority of it. Yesterday, I did make my own breakfast. It was four four s'mores pop tarts and (laughs) a can of Mountain Dew. That's what I had for breakfast yesterday. And I did not feel great afterwards. <laughs> yes. You can't say that you made your own breakfast if you heated up a Pop-Tart. If if some child that's not yet in kindergarten can do the same thing that you did, that's not you're not allowed to say that I made breakfast. It was you way too much sugar. You opened it up. You opened up breakfast. I'm going to send Why you a picture. Why would you have a Mountain Dew for breakfast? It was my last Mountain Dew, um, which is also an issue because now the, now the migraines, headaches are setting in. Uh but yeah, it was, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm home. What is the point of being an adult who has worked your butt off to be able to self-sustain uh, if if in the morning, if you feel like a Mountain Dew, you can't have one? So that was my whole thinking. <laughs> like, you know what? I do what I want. So I'm going to have a Mountain Dew and four Pop-Tarts for breakfast. It was a yeah. terrible idea, but I did you it know, because it was principle. You know, that's exactly how people that have a problem with food think. They're like, well... You know, there's only a little bit left. And so I might as well eat the rest of it because, I mean, who wants to put just a little bit back in the fridge and you don't want to throw it away. It's like, well, you know what? I've had a really hard day already. I mean, it's already 8 a.m. And oh, man, I woke (laughs) up and brushed my teeth. So I deserve that 12 pack of Mountain Dews and that Pop-Tart. Exactly. 
All right. So what movie so, are we talking about? So I think you should uh, watch a documentary. It's called The Vice Guide. Have you ever heard of it, by the way? No. It's so fascinating. Um, so everybody knows about the Vice Channel and Vice News. They do kind of really interesting global pieces. Some of them are domestic, but uh, it started a long, long time ago. I think um, the guy's name was Sean Smith, I think was the guy that started it. And he started it doing some documentaries called The Vice Guide to Travel. And the first couple things that he did that were really fascinating, one was The Vice Guide to Travel North Korea. He like snuck into North Korea under auspicious uh, credentials and basically kind of, I wouldn't say exposed the regime, but he gave people over here a good idea of what life is like living under the oppressive North Korean regime. And it's fascinating because it's very interesting. So I want you to read or watch that one and then watch The Vice Guide to Travel. Um, there's one that happens in like Pakistan, Afghanistan. It's like the gun markets of Pakistan. It's okay. just incredible. Uh, and if you can't find those two, because usually you can watch those on YouTube. Uh, the other one that's really interesting is The Vice Guide to these Russian... Siberian, Russian, North Korean lumberjack camps. So basically the premise is North Korea uses their people <laughs> for money, on, as we on, all know. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off, Joe, but uh, no wonder you're having a hard time sleeping at night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, what should we watch? I'm like, hey, watch Trading Places with Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd. You're like, hey, watch an expose on Russia and North Korea. <laughs> like, okay, that I guess we could go there. Yeah, oh. there's a reason why I'm having a hard time sleeping. But anyways, this documentary, it's so fascinating. <laughs> uh, the, the North Korean government basically has sent their some of their people, like their big, strong, strapping men, up to Siberia. And then the Russian government pays them. And it's a 10-year mission, essentially. And they work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, every single day of the year cutting timber in these Siberian like remote camps. It's sort of illegal and nobody really knows about them. Uh -huh. But um, it was interesting because Sean, he got there and he basically like ambushed these bunch of North Koreans that are in the woods cutting down lumber. And he had a translator and he was talking to them. And the most fascinating part is that he asked them when's the last time they've had a vacation or a day off. And the translator was not able to translate that into a a word that they understood because it had been 10 years since they'd been there and they never had a day where they didn't work. And so they didn't understand the concept of not having a day where you worked. Mm, that is deep. And that so, is hard Okay, stuff. maybe don't watch that one. Okay. <laughs> All right, I need to come me, up with a comedy that's really good. Next me, time we talk, give me I'm going to give you one. Yeah, please. No, I'm, I'm going to watch one of them. I, I'll give you one. What? Is it Russia, North Korea, or Pakistan? Which one should I watch? Uh, is there anything that's more interesting to you? I would say the North Korea one is, was like one of his first ones that was really fascinating. Um, but if you've already seen a lot about North Korea, maybe try. I haven't. Like I don't, I don't I'm not big into that stuff for the reasons we talked oh, about. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm that's not, beautiful. I try not to scare the heebie-jeebies mm -hmm. out of myself okay. and like worry about that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Well, maybe you should just watch the new Trolls movie. That'll make you yeah, more I've happy. It. I've seen it. Already. I've seen it four times. Oh, you've already seen it. Dang. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go North Korea. I'm going to write Vice Guide, uh, Sean Smith, North Korea. You're going to watch a, a much funner 
experience. Yes, and, uh, you've given Eddie me Murphy much better Danny homework. Coy. Thank you. I, <laughs> I like you as a teacher better than me. Our whole perspectives are going to flip the next episode. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm on episode oh. 15 of Vice Guide, and I've taped all of my doors shut. Um, all right, so cool. Now we got homework. I got to ask you, you, you said your wife's been in the kitchen. She's been doing a lot of cooking, um, mm-hmm. a lot more time on her hands. Has she put together any one meal that's really been memorable so far? Um, they're all awesome. If she's listening, number one, um, <laughs> which we know our wives don't listen to us at yeah. home, much less on the podcast. So we don't have to worry about that. This is a wife ear free zone right now. So feel free to go <laughs> ahead and say whatever you want. All right. Love it. So my favorite one is she does, um, uh, this bang, bang shrimp. Ooh. Yeah. With, um, like, I don't know what kind of noodles they are. What is the chef term? But they're essentially spaghetti noodles, linguine noodles, one of those. But it is, I'm not kidding, man. I eat probably 3X portions of what I would eat Ooh. of anything else because I love it so oh. much. She also does uh, a, 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 a chicken fried rice and adds shrimp oh. to that. I'm really big into oh. uh, shrimp and chicken fried rice. And my favorite, oh. you know what my favorite food is? You should know this about me, Joe. If we're going to. We've been, we're three seasons. Besides pizza seasons. and Mountain Dew? Besides pizza and Mountain Dew, what is my favorite food? Which isn't, it is not much far off from either one of those things. Hamburger? Nope. Spaghetti. Br- burnt and, steak. And meat sauce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> spaghetti steak. meat sauce. Yes. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I, I have heard you say that. Yeah, spaghetti bolognese. That's my favorite. <laughs> I've eaten I do probably, like a good bolognese. Yeah, man. Three times bolognese in the last 10 days I've eaten it. Really? Yeah. So she's been killing it. Now, are you a person that likes putting your meals on social media? Because I like being a guy that's sort of new to cooking. I've just kind of learned to do my my own cooking like a couple years ago, uh-huh. um, especially early on. And when I was getting into the keto diet, the low carb, I liked posting stuff. And there was a lot of people that gave good feedback. But of course, I've got the trolls in my family, my good my good friends who are brother-in-laws and cousins who like to troll me on, on social media. They usually <laughs> hit me back with like, uh, uh, you know, they try to embarrass me about my cooking. So I, I do pull back a little bit. But are you a guy that likes to post any pictures on social media of your meals? No, man. Absolutely no, not. You're, you're I'm not, not. I'm not. Why a, not? I'm not a, I don't know. It's just... I don't know. There's nothing special about it in my eyes. But I if never your wife kill, like knocks a meal out of the park, or you go to a nice restaurant, uh-huh. you take a take a picture. You're just not. You're not about that life. I am not a take a picture of my food guy. As a matter of That's fact, when me and you were in Miami, and we were uh, at the dinner, and everyone started taking pictures of their meal, I felt like. I got peer pressured into taking the picture of my plate because everyone else was doing it. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> but I didn't. So I don't think I. I you did nothing I, with it. You I did nothing. It. I might have deleted it when I left you off the boat. Snapchatted it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not a big. I've never seen someone right. put a picture up of their meal and thought to myself, "Ooh, yeah. nice." I, yeah, I right. Mean, it never made you hungry. Like if you could so look I at mean, my my Instagram analytics, they would tell you, yeah. "Oh, his accounts scrolls faster." past meal pictures than anything else on social media. <laughs> yeah. So I, I made a um, Buffalo chicken wings and then barbecue chicken wings, uh, sous vide. And then I finished them on the grill. They were really good. Um, and then my brother-in-law last night made a really good uh, chicken jambalaya, which was awesome. And then tonight I think might be the best quarantine meal we've had so far though. We're going to do Lawash 
homemade pizzas. So a wash bread is like a middle, middle Eastern thin, like almost pita type material, but it's like, uh, we get like uh, from Joseph's, they make a lower carb option and we kind of soak it in olive oil. And then we make the pizza with that. And it's really good. Cause it comes out with a really thin, like New York style or like a really thin crust pizza. That's crispy and delicious, especially if you use a pizza stone or like a baking steel piece in the oven. Um, and we're going to do morel mushrooms, which I just have a few morel mushrooms in the freezer from last year because the morel season's coming up soon. So we got to finish them out. So I'm going to do that with a, uh, pesto and goat cheese toppings. And I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to put it on social and I'm going to tag you (laughs) You so you can look at it and you can tell me being the pizza expert, if this is something you'd enjoy and appreciate, or if it's a thumbs down, it's going to be a thumbs down, no matter how good it looks. (laughs) I'm with it. All right. Um, are there any, speaking of posting, I have like, and it's probably my last question that I actually have. Uh, but are there any like social media accounts that you've been like, oh man, this is a good this is a good follow during the times of quarantining? Honestly, you've been killing it. Uh, there's you, been people you, that uh, there's been a lot of yeah. This is actually I don't think you were trying to serve an alley oop on yourself, but you did <laughs> um, because I've actually had multiple people hit me up and be like, that hawk, that dude is hilarious. He has <laughs> oh. incredible creativity in his brain and i'm like yeah exactly i've been working with him for several years been friends with him twice as long and the guy's really funny if only he had more time to be funny he could really make <laughs> something out of his life there you go man that's what but I now he finally has that now, now i have, it. have that time to be f- funny you know what i'm gonna quit all my other jobs i was looking at old uh d- direct messages and i and i won't say what account it is but i dm somebody right after i retired um and i'm like hey you know I want to get into doing like funny stuff. I have an idea for us to do X, Y, and Z. And they were kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's tough to X, you know, boom, 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 boom. So I was like, revisited that. And I'm saying all that just so I don't have to say what the actual content of the message was with the person. <laughs> but now on this side of it, this is like three years later, looking back at that, I re-hit them up. And they're like, yes, absolutely. Let's do stuff. We 100% get it now. I'm like, oh, there you <laughs> no go. Way. Now everyone sees me as the buffoon I've always seen myself as. Oh, my gosh. It's a dream come That's true, awesome. Joe. You're doing big things. Now, for me, I, I need to, like, just remove myself from social media because – I consume way too much serious things when I'm on social yeah, media. Man. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't do the funny people and I don't do the celebrities or like famous people that are commenting on stuff like one way or the other. I go straight like news and hardcore information, <laughs> which is so boring. And it's what's taking me down into that dark place. You're like a, uh, you're a millennial, but you're really not. Yeah, I'm such an old soul. I always have been that way. Even when you I came have. in the NFL, it was like the best thing that people would say about me when I was going through the combine. They're like, "Oh, he's an old soul. Like he's very mature for his age." And it was good when you're 22, but when you're 35, it's not so good. <laughs> I wish I was more immature for my age. I wish yeah. that was my scouting report at uninterrupted. You know what? That Joe, he might be able to make something of his life if he just was a little bit less mature. Yeah, no, yeah, that is not your scouting report. Your scouting report is the opposite. We were on a we were on a call uh, or maybe in the in our like company Slack message. And it was like they were fawning over how thoughtful you were. You sent a really cool message to the podcast team, just thanking them for their work and 
appreciative and everyone was like, yo, he's the best. He is just so thoughtful. <laughs> and, you know, that that is not the reports anybody gives of me. They're the opposite. They're like, that dude acts like he's 10, um, <laughs> which is great for content, but sucks when you're working yeah. with me. So here we yeah, are. No Joe. kidding. Uh, well, hey, I think before you go crazy uh, talking about quarantine life, which we've already done and <laughs> pretty much been the entire podcast, but um, is there any NFL news that we should definitely hit on that you have any thoughts? I know that after free agency was hot and heavy at the beginning of last week, things have kind of fizzled out and there really hasn't been yeah. a whole lot of moves, but Cam Newton's about to get released and yep. Jadevian Clowney still has not signed. So to me, those are still like two pretty big stories in the NFL that haven't been resolved. Yeah, and we kind of talked about him on the last pod, so I didn't want to belabor it. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 the same. And I think you're right as far as the the physical take that you said that it's teams aren't ha- don't have the ability to give these guys physicals. Um, it is it is wild to me though that Nick Foles gets traded for a fourth rounder and Cam Newton can't find a home because even Nick Foles is he had an injury last year, and I get that he came back from it. He didn't finish the season on IR. Uh, but it, it's just a strange thing that who would have thought that Nick Foles would be traded for and Cam Newton couldn't find a home, will be released and, you know, have to find a new place for him to play football. And and his contract isn't all that crazy. No. That was one of the reasons that people thought that Carolina was going to keep him because everyone was kind of saying like, oh, well, his number is pretty reasonable. And a lot of times a new coach, they come in and they want to give the players that they have one year to kind of prove themselves and see what they have and see if they mesh and see if they can kind of fit in the system. And a lot of times coaches do it for two reasons, right? Obviously the first is because they want to see what type of player they are, but two is because in the second year, if they get rid of those players and they bring in their own guys, they have a reasonable leg to stand on with management. Like, Oh, I just got my own people in here this year. So you've got to give me two more years to be able to work with this group to show what I can do. And my sort of, timeline or my stopwatch on my career here in Carolina hasn't started yet because I was still using everyone else's players for a year. And that was exactly that was kind of the strategy that uh, Mike Holmgren had when he came in and he kept Eric Mangini around for a year because the, the hope was always, you know, hey, I'll keep Eric. And then in the meantime, I'll find my people. And so when I fire him, I can bring in Pat Shermer and my clock kind of starts over on the rebuild process and I've bought myself an extra year. But with Cam Newton, I mean, they they originally said, yeah, we're going to trade you no trade partners. Now they're just going to outright cut him. And so my question is to you, like the guy can obviously still throw the football. He's had injuries with foot and shoulder recently, um, but how he's got plenty of talent and he's still plenty young enough. And like you made the comparison with Nick Foles. I would say even though Nick Foles has a Super Bowl MVP, Cam Newton is clearly the more accomplished quarterback over the course of his career. And so for Nick to be able to find a home and have somebody trade for him, but Cam not, like what's going on with Cam and is some of the whispers that have gone on throughout his career about distractions off the field and sort of his uh, zest for becoming an icon off the field and maybe not committing the same level of energy into his on the field performance do you think that's maybe sort of caught up with him at this point in life or is that not a point with nfl teams i don't think that's a point i don't think it should be a point to be honest and i get the whole like oh we don't want distractions we want you to be focused now i don't know i've never played with cam so i can't say that he's a a gym rat but i can also i can't say that he's not and the people that i know that have played with him 
you know, they it's never been. I've never gotten the report that he is a dude who does not give a shit about the game of football or doesn't put the time to work in. Yeah, just just so you so I'm clear, the reports that I had heard from players in the building were not that he didn't give a shit, but that just he gave an investment into his profession as a quarterback about the same level that most positions would give, right? You know, you give your eight to six or eight to five, which is kind of the normal hours. And then maybe you watch an hour of film and then you go home. Right. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of forget about football, which for every other position on the field, that's more than enough, right? Receiver, left tackle, every other position, no problem. But at the quarterback position, typically when we see the guys that have elevated and become pro bowlers and hall of famers and are the greats in our game, the Brady's, the Rogers, the Roethlisberger's, the rivers, you know, the breezes, all those names, Um, historically we hear about how they've basically given their life to the game of football and they've almost put in coaches hours to become masters of the quarterback position and the scuttlebutt, I use the word scuttlebutt, that makes me extra old. Yep. Just when we were talking about how old and lame I am, I used scuttlebutt. (laughs) So the scuttlebutt out of Carolina was always that. Um, he didn't take his preparation and commitment to the next level because he was had this desire to become iconic, whatever that meant, with other areas of his life outside of being a quarterback. So that just to be clear, that was the reports that kind of have come out of Carolina. I guess, and maybe my view on quarterbacks is different because um I played in Cleveland. So you should it, have many views on quarterbacks. Yeah, my it reset my whole thinking on uh what truly is the bare minimum um but anyway i if you said today like yo do i want to take nick Foles or cam newton i'm taking cam newton and it's not even close i'm not even thinking twice about it right now if you say that with some other quarterbacks that i would i mean i I would argue there's 10 starting quarterbacks that i would take cam newton over and in the right system because here's here's the thing if you're in the right system for the right talent like you're going to have results. And I think Cam still does, has a lot of that ability. Um, it's just a matter of finding that system that plays towards his ability. It's hard to be an MVP. That's not an easy thing to do. I don't think Drew Brees has ever won an MVP. And I think Drew Brees should have, and he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But I'm just using that to illustrate that, you know, MVP isn't a popularity contest thing. Like you have to be balling to get to get that. And for someone to get that, and then, you know, four years later, I have to act like he's not any good. I just don't think it's the case, man. You know, so time will tell. Maybe the injuries have added up. Maybe he really is done. Maybe um, it's it's the whole Shaq thing, right? When Shaq lost his physical ability, he was no longer the player um, that he was when he was dominant. But for guys like Tim Duncan, he was kind of Tim Duncan for like 25 straight years. So, you know, maybe that is a little bit of the case for Cam Newton. But I, th- I think that maybe highlights the reason Cam Newton is still on the shelf is because for Cam Newton's entire career, he's leaned on his physical ability. And, and when I say physical ability, I mean running and steamrolling people. Whereas, you know, some quarterbacks are more reliant like a Nick Foles on their arm and their brain and reading the defense, throwing the football where it needs to go. And so that, ability is slower to degrade than your ability to run and run people over. And it's like Shaq, right? He was a big physical force 
and you lose the physicalness because he can't get up and down the court and he doesn't have the athleticism to move. It's not like he has a polished game from 15 to 23 feet like Tim Duncan, where he's got all the little moves and he can kiss it off the glass and he can do those things because even when maybe his quickness and his speed decrease a little bit, he still has like the technique and the basketball brain to be able to win those little one-on-one battles. Whereas like we're talking about with, with Cam Newton, you lose your legs, your ability to run people over. That was a proportionately much larger part of your game. And so I think losing that hurts your overall value and ability as a quarterback much greater than, you know, somebody else who's getting old and, and uh, can't run as well. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, you you could be right. The last season we seen out of Cam Newton was 2018. I'm just looking at the stats now. And he threw for 3,400 yards. And I think he rushed for 500, roughly. And he averaged five yards a carry, which is about his average over his career. And his completion percentage in 2018 was 67%, which was his highest since 2013, 68% which was his highest completion percentage since 2013. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I just, I never seen the, 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 the downgrade in his performance that everyone talked about. And there's going to be, it's going to be a little of that because it's natural. I just figured that it was the team around him changed a little bit. And even him, his perspective might've changed. I'm hoping this makes him hungry, but I just, I still think he has enough in the tank. And I still think he is that still physical threat that we've seen over the last five years, he's just been injured in his shoulder and he hasn't been able to bounce back from that over the last season or so. So where do you think he ends up? I don't know, man. I, I think I could see him being a Patriot, to be quite honest. That's, that's um, what I was going to say. I, I still think he's going to end up in New England because uh, New England yeah. will play the waiting game. His price is going to come down. And honestly, if I'm Cam Newton, this is going to put a little chip on my shoulder. This is going to, I mean, you could see from his post when he got uh, told by the Panthers, he wasn't coming yeah, back. Yeah, he was that. pissed. He was not happy. He's pissed. Right. And honestly, a motivated player, like a motivated player who once was the MVP of the league and wants to prove to everybody that he still got it. Like that's the type of guy you want on your roster. You know, you don't want the guy that's won a bunch of, or maybe you do, but uh, you don't want the guy that's been really good and has been kind of resting on his laurels and just mailing it in. Like yeah. you want the guy that feels like he's got something to prove and who else has something to prove right now? <laughs> Bill Belichick, right? Yeah. He just lost the greatest quarterback of all time in sort of a pissing match between mm-hmm. those two. And now both of them are out to prove that, Hey, I can win a championship without the other guy. And so when you put a Cam Newton, who's out to prove that he still got it and stick it to the Carolina Panthers and every other team in the NFL. And you got a guy like Bill Belichick who won is looking for a dual threat quarterback because he saw yeah. how dangerous those players can be to a defense. And he's dying to be able to retool his offense to take advantage of a dual threat guy after watching Lamar Jackson totally decimate his own defense. Uh, I could see this as a very natural move, and especially because it's not going to cost them a lot. And they'll yeah. probably draft a quarterback anyway. I thought that uh, drafting Jalen Hurts is going to be a great move somewhere potentially in the second round. They could develop Jalen. They could bring in Cam. He could be the starter. They could put together a great offense for those type of quarterbacks. And you got Cam Newton and Jalen Hurts, who are pretty similar from a skill set standpoint. And Jalen's younger and healthier. And if the Cam Newton experiment doesn't work out next year, poof, 
you got your guy right there and you've already yeah. started grooming him in the system. So it's starting to make a lot of sense. And I'm actually for as much of a Patriots hater as I've been my entire career. I'm kind of a little excited about seeing Belichick work <laughs> with somebody new and somebody like a, a Cam Newton would be really fun. I think for the NFL. Yeah, man. I, I, and, and that's a good cop too. Like you remember like Randy Moss when he was off of like Oakland Raiders and everyone was like, Oh, Moss is done. Moss is done. Yeah, he's dead. And then he goes to new England and kind of just, he has his best seasons of his career. I could see that happening with Cam Newton because I don't, again, I don't think Cam Newton's ability is gone, right? If he can stay healthy, if he has an offensive line that can protect him and he has a coach that knows how to use his skill set, I think he could still be one of the better quarterbacks in the league, especially in that scenario. And I get that that's like, oh, yeah, that's perfect case scenario. Yeah, of course it is. But a lot of people have played in that very same perfect case scenario and that kind of coach player marriage for a lot of years. And when you were talking about like, you know, just running over, Cam Newton wasn't just running over people, man. Like he was an incredible arm talent. He's not Nick Foles. I, I think his arm is better than Nick Foles. I don't think no, it's that, like, oh. Oh, absolutely. It's no no question. Cam Newton has one of the best arms of all time. But I think that lends into the narrative of why he never was forced into developing like the complicated brain side of being a quarterback. I know, but I, that's what He I'm never saying. had to because- the, everyone always said he waited till his guys got open and he had this cannon for an arm and he would throw it in there. So he never was forced to develop like the timing. Whereas we both played with um, Josh McCown, not exactly a rocket arm. Everything he had to do had to be in rhythm because he couldn't get it there when there was an opening. He had to throw guys into a spot where he was hoping somebody would get open. Yeah, but even still, I don't think that's like the same level. I mean, you could say Cam does that. But I don't think that's the case. I think like like you're not you can't tell me. I don't think Nick Foles is better at reading defenses than Cam Newton. I don't because I've watched Nick Foles make up like tens, tens of stupid (laughs) interceptions (laughs) on the same thing. I've played like I don't think that Cam's problem is reading defenses. He's not a turnover magnet. That's not it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he might have something he could fall back on. But I don't think him his ability to run was a, a detriment if he can figure it out, because. I don't know. In his, in his MVP year, he was tossing it all over the place. And you can't – Cam Newton hasn't had, with the exception of Steve Smith, who I think is one of the best receivers of all time, yes. Um, but he, he's not who people mention when they say, like, oh, every every quarterback has their top receiver. If you look at all the other quarterbacks at the top of that list, they've had really good receiving cores, right? And I think that's why they talk about Tom Brady the way they do because he hasn't always had that, but he's still been able to perform – I don't think Cam has had a lot of receiving weapons in his career. So I think a lot of that was on him. So whenever it's like, oh, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Well, you're not giving him anything where you're setting literally everybody else up for the the guys who are the top quarterbacks with these incredible weapons. I want to see Cam Newton in that situation where he has incredible weapons and see if we say the same things that we're saying about him now. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's just part of the reason I think I'd be excited about seeing Cam get a starting opportunity outside of Carolina again. Right. Yeah. Because these are, these are some of the arguments. I think he goes to the Patriots. I think we both agree on that, but you know, these are the arguments that are, are being had 
maybe not in bar rooms anymore across America, but maybe over social media, <laughs> over uh, FaceTime with friends and, and right. to be able to settle something like this with him getting an opportunity to be a starter, let's say in New England, I think it'd be awesome because then we'd really be able to find out, right? And find out where the truisms are. Uh, so it's interesting. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Obviously, that'll be one of the big stories as we move here through free agency into the draft. But the last guy I wanted to ask you about is uh, Jadevian Clowney. Unsigned at this point, he was and still is the top pass rusher, outside linebacker, defensive end on the market. And he has not been able to find a home in spite of being very disruptive. I know a lot of people have said, well, he doesn't have a lot of sacks. Um, but to me as an offensive lineman and as an offensive guy, disruptions in the run game and the pass game, whether it be you're hitting the quarterback early, you're forcing a bad throw, you're knocking the ball down, you're getting in the backfield, you're forcing a running back off the track, the line that he wants to run on, and you're getting the timing of the run, the run blocks, uh, you're throwing them off by getting penetration in the blocking schemes. Like all those things have a appreciable impact on an offense and force you to game plan and become simpler and more predictable from an offensive standpoint. And those are things that never show up on the stat sheet. And so just pointing to a guy's sack total to me doesn't really even tell half the story. I was talking with Sam Monson from PFF last week Mm -hmm. when Clowney uh, was yet unsigned as he is still today. And I have a lot of respect for PFF because they kind of drill down into the numbers and they try to give you a better idea of what a player brings to the team than just the basic stats that we've been using forever, like sacks or completion percentage or yardage or whatever it is. Um, And so I asked them because throughout my career, I've noticed as an offensive lineman that I thought about half sacks, half of sacks are through no good reason from the defense. They weren't caused by anything the defensive player individually did. Like for instance, the player hustled and the quarterback broke the pocket and ran into you. Or your teammate got pressure and the quarterback had to start scrambling and he ran into you. Or you were just totally unblocked and the offensive line just forgot to block you. They had a communication error and you run in there and you sack the quarterback. And so you get credit for those, of course. I mean, it's still an impactful play, but you didn't do anything more special than any other jabroni that was in your position would have been able to do. And so I asked him, I said, when you look back on your stats, like, how many pers- what percentage of sacks are because the player beat their man and got a sack? And he said, it's just about 50%. And so when you look at a sack, you can just pretty much assume that half the sacks in the NFL are nothing that the defensive lineman did out of the ordinary to get it. And that it- also means, though, half the time or more, a defensive lineman beats his guy and has a chance to have an impact on the play, but doesn't get a sack. And so I'm saying all that because I think Connie's a really good and disruptive player, even though he doesn't get the sacks. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I agree with that notion, but you could say, you could say that about literally every position. You could say that about zone wide receiver touchdowns that you just got to a spot. The zone was open and a quarterback threw you, threw it to you. And any receiver that could have just ran to that zone, which doesn't take athletic ability to just get to an open hole that could also mean nothing, those receiving touchdowns, you know? Right, and that's my point. But that's like when you're – that's why when you would be evaluating and rating a player, you were in scouting, so you know this. Yeah. And a player – let's say a player had like eight touchdowns during the year, and we're all excited about that. But six out of the eight were just coverage busts. 
you're going to look yeah. at those eight and you're going to grade him differently than a guy that beat man to man eight times on really good circus routes to the sideline and toe tapped his feet and made a great catch. Like one proves more talent and ability that would be universal on other teams. And the other thing just meant you were lucky. Yeah. And that, that's the difference. That's why I don't I don't think a lot of people are good. And that's why I don't like using stats and analytics all the time. Right. Like because it still yeah. comes down to do you have the eye for a player who is good, regardless if their stats equal up? I think stats are just kind of a checker of a base of what you're seeing. And if you have to be smart enough to say this certain situation should produce these results and they're not there. But yeah, no, I agree completely because a lot of people get overpaid for that. A lot of people, you know, don't make money uh, because of that same thing. And you have to have the ability to see like, oh, that guy's a good player or he's not. Well, I think we have to represent and recognize that there is a marketing component in every free agent signing because in the end, we all, we all want to talk about the NFL as the ultimate competition and, you know, the best players are going to always get paid, but it's an entertainment business when it's all said and done. It's up to the teams to put fans in the seat and get people to watch on TV. And how do you do that? Well, sometimes you got to sign and you got to overpay for guys who have sexy names, who the fans are going to get excited about. You draft guys like Johnny Manziel, you know, maybe him and another guy, were both evaluated exactly the same, but the hype and the hysteria and the excitement that would surround one player is going to sell tickets and get fans to be more excited. Well, then obviously they're going to kind of win that tiebreaker. And so when you have a player that gets a bunch of sacks, the fans are going to get excited when you sign them, right? Because for the most part, fans aren't deep dive analytics type guys that are going to know that, oh, well, this guy had 12 sacks, but eight of them didn't really mean much. Now, NFL fans are becoming more educated every single year as the advancements of PFF and some of these advanced analytic stats come out there and they, they can kind of understand these stats a little bit better and how they relate to the type of player they are. Um, but for the most part, if you sign a guy that had a bunch of sacks, most of the people in your fan base are going to probably be excited. They're going to be like, hey, our defense is going to be better. We got all these yeah. sacks. You just plug those sacks into our defense. We're better. Yeah, for losing teams, I guess. That's all we know about. Yeah, so we're the experts there. But for like the Patriots, no one ever says like, oh man, I can't believe the Patriots made this really dumb signing. You know what I mean? Like you're like, what? oh, what is Bill Belichick thinking? He's incompetent. Where the Patriots mess up is their draft picks. And I also have a philosophy there that it's not- Yeah, that why, not- why, is, yeah why is the Patriots so bad yeah. historically at drafting? And I, don't, I do not think it's because they're bad at drafting. I think, I feel like if you told the Patriots, hey, you have eight draft picks- if you would like to, you can trade those in for restricted free agents to sign and like deal those picks to teams uh, based on the level of the restricted free agent that you want to get. They would do it because I think that young guys who come into the Patriots locker room can't swim because it is a tough environment. It's tough for veterans, let alone if you're a 22 year old kid and you have never worked like that. You don't understand that level of commitment. You don't understand uh, the impossible standard they set that they force you you know, to meet, I don't think a lot of them can meet that. So very few of them can swim in those situations. So it looks like, oh, their draft picks aren't good. No, it's that the environment, you know, it, it brings the worst side out of a lot of those guys. And it's tough. It's pressure field. It's anxiety. It's, you know, understanding, again, that level of commitment that they just aren't, they're just not mature enough to reach yet. 
I think the Patriots like to find guys who have already played and shown the ability to play well in the league and they go get them. I don't think it's, oh, they can win with anybody. No, I think they're a better scouting department than every other team in the NFL. So you spent many, many moons in the Patriots locker room. Yeah. And this was a years. comment that I made on NFL Network last week. I said, you know, the true loss of Tom Brady for the Patriots is going to be measured by something that can't be measured. And that's the culture and the standard that he set in that locker room on a day-to-day basis forced everybody to fall in line. And they lost that guy. And Bill Belichick is still there, but it's different when it's coming from a coach than when it's coming from one of your peers in that locker room and one of those teammates. And to me, those are the shoes that will be impossible to fill. So from your perspective, being in that locker room, playing with Tom Brady, how does his loss affect that culture and that standard that everybody has to fall into when they walk into there? Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head. When I went to New England um, and had my illustrious career there, in practice, it was like my first week there, and they're like a, a, a trial-by-fire type. So it's like, I don't know this playbook down. Go in there and figure it out. And I remember one time, as I'm still trying to learn the playbook, this is like practice three. The receiver coach is like, hey, go in there with, with, with the one. I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm like, I don't know this play. He's like, yo, it's good. Just go ahead. I'm like, no, I'm not going in there because I'm not going in there and effing up Tom Brady's plays when I see how serious he takes it until I feel really good about it. So I didn't go in and the coach understood it. It was the assistant receiver coach. But that's what Tom Brady, that's the level of standard he creates where it's like, I don't want to go in there and F up his practice reps because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be seen as that guy. I want him to know that he can trust me when I'm out there. And so I refuse to go in until I learned it and put the time in. And if you think about that, if players all feel that way, if there's a guy who demands that kind of respect in the work time, there's no way your team can't be better and can't be elevated. So that's an important thing that they've lost. And it's now going to Tampa Bay, where I'm sure uh, Arians is chomping at the bit to use that exact same mindset. Is Bill Belichick going to be able to maintain that same standard without Brady in that locker room? Uh, I think he'll be able to maintain it. I think. Really? I think he'll be able to maintain it. It depends on how he, who he has, you know, at the top. I, I, I mean, Bra- Belichick is the boss. There's a reason why he's always positioned himself that way. There's a reason why over time he and Tom Brady butted heads because t- Belichick understood in the event Brady isn't here, I need to be able to maintain this. And I can't, I can't share this responsibility with you. This is me. This is my team. Don't ever get it twisted. We are not in this together. You don't work with me. You work for me. And I, th- I think if the, for the people in that locker room, they understood that and they will continue to understand that because he is in 110% control. Well, it'd definitely be interesting to watch. Let's put a bow on the Clowney conversation. Where do you think Clowney ends up? I have no idea, man. I don't know. He's a lineman, so uh, who really insider. cares? You know? Hey, breaking news. Insider <laughs> Andrew Hawkins says Jadavian Clowney will end up with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> you really believe that, too, deep down in your soul. No, I, I think that what happened was with Clowney, he thought there was going to be a bigger market for his services. And I think part of it is the injuries, the knee and the core muscles that he's had operated on in the past. And teams, if they're going to give $20 million a year to a defensive player or to any player for that matter, they're going to want to be able to get their medical staff in there and evaluate them and find out, hey, if we give this guy a four-year deal, are we going to even get four years out of him? Are we going to get 
top level play that we expect when we pay a guy 20 million a season in lieu of the fact that there's no free agent visits and no visits at all for medical staffs. These players like a Cam Newton and a Jadevian Clowney, just their market is not as robust as it normally would be. Um, and so I think as the market value kind of comes down and slides with Clowney, there's more teams that are going to get in on him potentially, especially if it's going to be a one or two year deal. It's kind of like a prove it deal. Uh, there might be some teams out there. I mentioned the Cowboys and the Browns where all of a sudden the price becomes a little bit more attractive. It's like you're walking down the aisle at uh, your local Target and there's an item that's not on sale. It doesn't even catch your eye, but all of a sudden the next time you walk by, it's 50% off. You're going, huh, Maybe I do need that thing. And pretty soon you wind up, like if you're at Costco with a a huge tub of pretzels and then a 20-pound bag of frozen salmon and chicken salad and then a rotisserie chicken and all you needed was a pack of gum. (laughs) And so... It's, it's kind of like that in free agency, too. Free agency, I guess, is a little bit like uh, shopping in Costco during the coronavirus outbreak. <laughs> that is a perfect analogy, man. I think he ends up in Seattle. Yeah, I think he ends up back in Seattle because they know the most about his injury history. And I think they like the way he played for him he was, as a disruptive force. And I think they'll probably get him in that uh, 15 to $17 million range and everyone will be happy. They can have me in that same range um, if they want to. <laughs> and I will, I'm I will available in that range too, by the way. <laughs> yes, I just, in case they're listening, which I know they are, I am 100% available in that range and maybe even lower if, 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 if uh, the surrounding items um, make, make sense. All right, I think that does it for this Tomahawk show, man. Joe, you got any final thoughts, man? Yeah, I, I think our final thoughts should be from both of us today and give us one thing during quarantine life that you can't live without. And I'm not talking about items that people are irrationally hoarding. Like toilet right, paper. right, right. I'm saying, give me that like desert Island. You know, the old question that everyone always asks, Oh, well, what would you have if there's one thing that you could have on a desert Island? But I want to know from Hawk. What's yeah. that one thing for you? Um, are we talking item? Are we talking people? Not people because then everyone's going to kind of say family. I'm, I'm thinking like strictly tangible. Oh, I was going to say Beyonce. Okay, besides, all right. She's family family would have worked right? too. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah pretty, no. family would have been my next guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer, Joe. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll say something since right. uh, you clearly have stumbled on this difficult question. <laughs> yeah. um, can I say my weight set at home? Because uh, when I retired, I said, I don't want to be the guy that has to fight elbow to elbow at the gym to try to get my meathead bench set in <laughs> and so I've, i went to sorenex and had him build me a kick-ass weight set squat bar uh full rack i can do olympic lifts i got dumbbells i got the whole ball of wax it's like my happy place and i am so thankful during this coronavirus madness that i have a place where i can work out because all gyms are closed and i can still get a good workout in outside of you know push-ups sit-ups body weight squats, burpees, uh-huh. like your classic in your garage type workout. I can actually get a legit workout with weights. And it's been so nice to be able to keep that routine up and kind of clear my mind, go to my my happy slash dark place in my weight room and come <laughs> out a, a better, more focused person and father and husband. And so for me, I would say it's been my weight set. All right. I, I figured out what mine is, Joe. All right, let's hear it. All right. it's um, And this is going to be funny because I actually... I do a character on my Instagram called LeBron James, um, where I'm the greatest <laughs> mini hoop basketball player in the world. But honest to God, truth, uh, mini basketball hoop would be my thing. 
I probably mm. spend like even in my creativity when I'm trying to think, I shoot mini basketball hoops. And I've been like that since I've been like eight years old. I would make um, clothes hanger hoops where I would bend a wire hanger to be a hoop, cut my dad's fishing net and tape it onto the wire hanger, ball up <laughs> socks. And that was my in room. And I have video of me being a kid. It's literally what I've done my entire life. I have probably six mini hoops in my house. I'm sure dad really loved you cutting up his fishing net. Oh, yeah, he was. He loved it. (laughs) I'd have been furious. I'd have had that boy's ass. (laughs) Oh, man, can you imagine if your son did that? If my son did that, I would flip the fuck out on him. (laughs) You know, we can't get fishing nets in the coronavirus anymore. How am I going to catch fish? You don't want to survive, boy. Nobody survives a quarantine without a fishing net. Yeah, so mini hoop. If I have my mini basketball hoop, I'm good. That's how I pass the majority of my time. Cool. All right. Well. All right, man. That's about it. All right. Well, take us out, Joe. Joe, walk yourself.